Chapter 19 of Marguerite de Valois by Alexander Dumas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 19 The Abode of Maitre Rene, Perfumer to the Queen Mother. At the period of this history, there existed in Paris, for passing from one part of the city to another, but five bridges, some of stone and the others of wood, and they all led to the Cite. There were Le Pont des Mineurs, Le Pont au Change, Le Pont Notre Dame, Le Petit Pont, and Le Pont Saint Michel. In other places, when there was need of crossing the river, there were ferries. These five bridges were loaded with houses like the Pont Vecchio at Florence at the present time. Of these five bridges, each of which has its history, we shall now speak more particularly of the Pont Saint Michel. The Pont Saint Michel had been built of stone in 1373, in spite of its apparent solidity. A freshet in the Seine undermined a part of it on the 31st of January, 1408. In 1416, it had been rebuilt of wood. But during the night of December 16, 1547, it was again carried away. About 1550, in other words, 22 years anterior to the epoch which we have reached, it was again built of wood, and though it needed repairs, it was regarded as solid enough. In the midst of the houses which bordered the line of the bridge, facing the small islet on which the Templars had been burnt, and where at the present time the platform of the Pont Neuf rests, stood a wooden paneled house, over which a large roof impended like the lid of an immense eye. At the only window which opened on the first story, over the window and door of the ground floor, hermetically sealed shone a reddish light which attracted the attention of the passers-by to the low, wide façade, painted blue with rich gold mouldings. A kind of frieze separating the ground floor from the first floor represented groups of devils in the most grotesque postures imaginable, and a wide scroll painted blue like the façade ran between the frieze and the window with this inscription, René Florentine, Perfumeur de sa Majesté la Reine Mère. The door of this shop was, as we have said, well bolted, but it was defended from nocturnal attacks better than by bolts, by its occupants reputational, so redoubtable that the passengers over the bridge usually described a curve which took them to the opposite row of houses, as if they feared the very smell of the perfumes that might exhale through the walls. More than this, the right and left-hand neighbors, doubtless fearing that they might be compromised by the proximity had since Maitre René's occupancy of the house taken their departure one after the other, so that the two houses next to René's were left empty and closed. Yet in spite of this solitude and desertedness, belated passer-by had frequently seen, glittering through the crevices of the shutters of these empty habitations, strange rays of light, and had felt certain they heard strange noises like groans, which proved that some beings frequented these abodes, although they did not know if they belonged to this world or the other. The result was that the tenants of the two buildings contiguous to the two empty houses from time to time queried whether it would not be wise in them to do as their neighbors had done. It was doubtless owing to the privilege which the dread of him widely circulated had procured for him that Maitre René had ventured to keep up a light after the prescribed hour. No round or guard, moreover, would have dared to molest him, a man doubly dear to Her Majesty as her fellow countryman and perfumer. As we suppose that the reader, panoplied by the philosophical wisdom of this century, no longer believes in magic or magicians, we will invite him to accompany us into this dwelling which, 
at that epoch of superstitious faith shed around it such a profound terror the shop on the ground floor is dark and deserted after eight o'clock in the evening the hour at which it closes not to open again until next morning there it is that the daily sale of perfumery unguents and cosmetics of all kinds such as a skillful chemist makes takes place two apprentices aid him in the retail business but do not sleep in the house they lodge in the rue de la calandre in the evening they take their departure an instant before the shop closes in the morning they wait at the door until it opens this ground-floor shop is therefore dark and deserted as we have said in this shop which is large and deep there are two doors each leading to a staircase one of these staircases is in the wall itself and is lateral and the other is exterior and visible from the quay now called the quay de augustin and from the river bank now called the quay des orfevres both lead to the principal room on the first floor this room is of the same size as the ground floor except that it is divided into two compartments by tapestry suspended in the centre and parallel to the bridge at the end of the first compartment opens the door leading to the exterior staircase on the side face of the second opens the door of the secret staircase this door is invisible being concealed by a large carved cupboard fastened to it by iron cramps and moving with it when pushed open catherine alone besides renee knows the secret of this door and by it she comes into parts and with eye or ear placed against the cupboard in which are several small holes she sees and hears all that occurs in the chamber two other doors visible to all eyes present themselves at the sides of the second compartment one opens into a small chamber lighted from the roof and having nothing in it but a large stove some alembecs retorts and crucibles it is the alchemist's laboratory the other opens into a cell more singular than the rest of the apartment for it is not lighted at all has neither carpet nor furniture but only a kind of stone altar the floor slopes from the centre to the ends and from the ends to the base of the wall is a kind of gutter ending in a funnel through whose orifice may be seen the dark waters of the seine on nails driven into the walls are hung singular shaped instruments all keen or pointed with points as fine as a needle and edges as sharp as a razor some shine like mirrors others on the contrary are of a dull gray or murky blue in a corner are two black fowls struggling with each other and tied together by the claws this is the soothsayer's sanctuary let us return to the middle chamber that with two compartments here the common herd of clients are introduced here embassies from egypt mummies with gilded bands the crocodile yawning from the ceiling death's heads with eyeless sockets and loose teeth and old musty volumes torn and rat-eaten are presented to the visitor's eye in pell-mell confusion behind the curtain are vials singularly shaped boxes and weird-looking vases all this is lighted up by two small silver lamps exactly alike perhaps stolen from some altar of santa maria novella or the church de hilervi of florence these supplied with perfumed oil cast their yellow flames around the sombre vault from which each hangs by three blackened chains rene alone his arms crossed is pacing up and down the second compartment with long strides and shaking his head after a lengthened and painful musing he pauses before an hour-glass aha says he i forget to turn it and perhaps the sand has all run through a long time ago then looking at the moon as it struggled through a heavy black cloud which seemed to hang over notre dame he said it is nine o'clock 
If she comes, she will come, as usual, in an hour, or an hour and a half. Then there will be time for all. At this moment a noise was heard on the bridge. René applied his ear to the orifice of a long tube, the other end of which reached down the street, terminating in a heraldic viper-head. No, he said, it is neither she nor they. It is men's footsteps, and they stop at my door. They are coming here. And three sharp knocks were heard at the door. René hurried downstairs and put his ear against the door without opening it. The three sharp blows were repeated. "'Who's there?' asked Maitre René. "'Must we mention our names?' inquired a voice. "'It is indispensable,' replied René. "'Well, then I am the Comte Annibal de Coquenard,' said the same voice. "'And I am the Comte Larac de la Mole,' said another voice, which had not as yet been heard. "'Wait, wait, gentlemen, I am at your service.' And at the same moment René drew the bolts and, lifting the bars, opened the door to the young men, locking it after him. Then, conducting them by the exterior staircase, he introduced them into the second compartment. La Mole, as he entered, made the sign of the cross under his cloak. He was pale, and his hand trembled without his being able to repress this symptom of weakness. Coquenard looked at everything, one after the other, and seeing the door of the cell, was about to open it. "'Allow me to observe, my dear young gentleman,' said René, in his deep voice, and placing his hand on Coquenard's, those that do me the honor of a visit have access only to this part of the room. Oh, very well, replied Coquenard. Besides, I feel like sitting down. And he took a seat. There was unbroken silence for a moment. Maitre René was waiting for one or the other of the young men to open the conversation. Maitre René, at length said Coquenard, you are a skillful man, and I pray you tell me if I shall always remain a sufferer from my wound. That is, always experience this shortness of breath which prevents me from riding on horseback using my sword and eating larded omelettes rene put his ear to coquenard's chest and listened attentively to the play of the lungs no monsieur le comte he replied you will get well really yes i assure you well you fill me with delight there was silence once more is there nothing else you would desire to know monsieur le comte i wish to know said coquenard if i am really in love you are replied rene how do you know because you ask the question by heaven you are right but with whom with her who now on every occasion uses the oath you have just uttered ah said coquenard amazed Maitre René, you are a clever man. Now, La Mole, it is your turn. La Mole reddened and seemed embarrassed. Uh, I, Monsieur René, he stammered, and speaking more firmly as he proceeded, do not care to ask you if I am in love, for I know that I am, and I do not hide it from myself. But tell me, shall I be beloved in return? For in truth, all that at first seemed propitious now turns against me. Perchance you have not done all you should do. What is there to do, sir, but to testify, by one's respect and devotion to the lady of one's thoughts, that she is really and profoundly beloved? You know, replied René, that these demonstrations are frequently very meaningless. Then I must despair? 
by no means we must have recourse to science in human nature there are antipathies to be overcome sympathies which may be forced iron is not the lodestone but by rubbing it with a lodestone we make it in its turn attract iron yes yes murmured la mole but i have an objection to all these sorceries ah then if you have any such objections you should not come here answered rene come come this is child's play interposed coquenard maitre rene can you show me the devil no monsieur le comte i'm sorry for that for i had a word or two to say to him and it might have encouraged la mole well then let it be so said la mole let us go to the point at once i have been told of figures modelled in wax to look like the beloved object is that one way an infallible one and there is nothing in the experiment likely to affect the life or health of the person beloved nothing let us try then shall i make the first trial said coquenard no said la mole since i have begun i will go through to the end is your desire mighty ardent imperious to know what the obstacle is monsieur de la mole oh exclaimed la mole i am dying with anxiety at this moment someone rapped lightly at the street door so lightly that no one but maitre rene heard the noise doubtless because he had been expecting it without any hesitation he went to the speaking tube and put his ear to the mouthpiece at the same time asking la mole several idle questions then he added suddenly now put all your energy into your wish and call the person whom you love la mole knelt as if about to address a divinity and rene going into the other compartment went out noiselessly by the exterior staircase and an instant afterward light steps trod the floor of his shop when la mole rose he beheld before him maitre rene the florentine held in his hand a small wax figure very indifferently modelled it wore a crown and mantle do you desire to be always beloved by your royal mistress demanded the perfumer yes even if it cost me my life even if my soul shall be the sacrifice replied la mole very good said the florentine taking with the ends of his fingers some drops of water from a ewer and sprinkling them over the figure at the same time muttering certain latin words la mole shuddered believing that some sacrilege was committed what are you doing he asked i am christening this figure with the name of marguerite what for to establish a sympathy la mole opened his mouth to prevent his going any further but a mocking look from coquenard stopped him rene who had noticed the impulse waited your absolute and undivided will is necessary he said go on said la mole rene wrote on a small strip of red paper some cabalistic characters put it into the eye of a steel needle and with the needle pierced the small wax model in the heart strange to say at the orifice of the wound appeared a small drop of blood then he set fire to the paper the heat of the needle melted the wax around it and dried up the spot of blood thus said rene by the power of sympathy your love shall pierce and burn the heart of the woman whom you love coquenard true to his repute as a bold thinker laughed in his moustache and in a low tone jested but la mole desperately in love and full of superstition felt a cold perspiration start from the roots of his hair
And now, continued René, press your lips to the lips of the figure, and say, Marguerite, I love thee. Come, Marguerite. La Mole obeyed. At this moment the door of the second chamber was heard to open, and light steps approached. Coquenard, curious and incredulous, drew his poniard, and fearing that if he raised the tapestry René would repeat what he said about the door, he cut a hole in the thick curtain, and applying his eye to the hole, uttered a cry of astonishment, to which two women's voices responded. "'What is it?' exclaimed La Mole, nearly dropping the waxen figure which René caught from his hands. "'Why?' replied Coquenard. The Duchess de Nevers and Madame Marguerite are there. There, now, you unbelievers, replied René with an austere smile. Do you still doubt the force of sympathy? La Mole was petrified on seeing the queen. Coquenard was amazed at beholding Madame de Nevers. One believed that René's sorceries had evoked the phantom Marguerite. The other, seeing the door half open, by which the lovely phantoms had entered gave at once a worldly and substantial explanation to the mystery while la mole was crossing himself and sighing enough to split a rock coquenard who had taken time to indulge in philosophical questionings and to drive away the foul fiend with the aid of that holy water sprinkler called scepticism having observed through the hole in the curtain the astonishment shown by madame de nevers in marguerite's somewhat caustic smile judged the moment to be decisive and understanding that a man may say in behalf of a friend what he cannot say for himself, instead of going to Madame de Nevers, went straight to Marguerite, and bending his knee after the fashion of the great Artaxerxes, as represented in the farces of the day, cried in a voice to which the whistling of his wound added a peculiar accent, not without some power. Madame, this very moment at the demand of my friend, the Comte de la Mole, Maitre René, was evoking your spirit, and to my great astonishment, your spirit is accompanied with a body most dear to me, and which I recommend to my friend, shade of Her Majesty the Queen of Nevada. Will you desire the body of your companion to come to the other side of the curtain? Marguerite began to laugh, and made a sign to Henrietta, who passed to the other side of the curtain. La Mole, my friend, continued Coquenard, be as eloquent as de Mathenes, as Cicero, as the Chancellor de l'Hôpital, and be assured that my life will be imperiled if you do not persuade the body of Madame de Nevers that I am her most devoted, most obedient, and most faithful servant. But, stammered La Mole, do as I say, and you, Maitre René, watch that we are not interrupted. René did as Coquenard asked. By heaven, monsieur, said Marguerite, you are a clever man. I am listening to you. What have you to say? I have to say to you, madame, that the shadow of my friend, for he is a shadow and he proves it by not uttering a single little word, I say that this shadow begs me to use the faculty which material bodies possess of speaking so as to be understood, and to say to you, lovely shadow, the gentleman thus disembodied has lost his whole body and all his breath by the cruelty of your eyes. If this were really you, I should ask Maitre René to plunge me in some sulphurous pit rather than use such language to the daughter of King Henry the Second, to the sister of King Charles the Ninth, to the wife of the King of Nevada. But shades are freed from all earthly pride, and they are never angry when men love them. Therefore, pray your body, madame, to love the soul of this poor La Mole a little, a soul in trouble. If ever there was one, a soul first persecuted by friendship, 
which three times thrust into him several inches of cold steel, a soul burnt by the fire of your eyes, fire a thousand times more consuming than all the flames of hell. So have pity on this poor soul. Love a little what was the handsome La Mole, and if you no longer possess speech, ah, bestow a gesture, bestow a smile upon him. My friend's soul is a very intelligent soul and will comprehend everything. Be kind to him, then, or, by heaven, I will run my sword through René's body in order that, by virtue of the power which he possesses over spirits, he may force yours, which he has already so opportunely evoked, to do all a shade so amiably disposed as yours appears to be should do. At this burst of eloquence delivered by Coquenaz, he stood in front of the queen like Aeneas, descending into Hades. Marguerite could not refrain from a hearty burst of laughter. Yet, preserving the silence which on such an occasion may be the supposed characteristic of a royal shade, she presented her hand to Coquenard. He took it daintily in his, and calling to La Mole, said, "'Shade of my friend, come hither instantly!' La Mole, amazed, overcome, silently obeyed. "'Tis well,' said Coquenard, taking him by the back of the head, "'and now bring the shadow of your handsome brown countenance into contact with the white and vaporous hand before you.' And Coquenard, suiting the action to the word, raised the delicate hand to La Mole's lips, and kept them for a moment respectfully united, without the hand seeking to withdraw itself from the gentle pressure. Marguerite had not ceased to smile, but Madame de Nevers did not smile at all. She was still trembling at the unexpected appearance of the two gentlemen. She was conscious that her awkwardness was increased by all the fever of a growing jealousy, for it seemed to her that Coquenard ought not thus to forget her affairs for those of others. La Mole saw her eyebrows contracted, detected the flashing threat of her eyes, and in spite of the intoxicating fever to which his delight was insensibly urging him to succumb, he realized the danger which his friend was running, and perceived what he should try to do to rescue him. So, rising and leaving Marguerite's hand in Coquenard's, he grasped the Duchess de Nevers, and bending his knee, he said, "'O oh, loveliest, O oh, most adorable of women, I speak of living women and not of shades!' and he turned a look and a smile to Marguerite. Allow a soul released from its mortal envelope to repair the absence of a body fully absorbed by material friendship. Monsieur de Coquenard, whom you see, is only a man, a man of bold and hardy frame, of flesh handsome to gaze upon perchance, but perishable like all flesh, omnis caro fenum. Although this gentleman keeps on from morning to night, pouring into my ears the most touching litanies about you, though you have seen him distribute as heavy blows as were ever seen in wide France. This champion, so full of eloquence, in presence of a spirit, dares not address a woman. That is why he has addressed the shade of the queen, charging me to speak to your lovely body, and to tell you that he lays at your feet his soul and heart, that he entreats from your divine eyes a look in pity, from your rosy fingers a beckoning sign, and from your musical and heavenly voice those words which men can never forget. If not, he has supplicated another thing, and that is, in case he should not soften you, you will run my sword, which is a real blade, for swords have no shadows except in the sunshine, run my sword right through his body for the second time, for he can live no longer if you do not authorize him to live exclusively for you. 
All the verve and comical exaggeration which Coquenard had put into his speech found their counterpart in the tenderness, the intoxicating vigor, and the mock humility which La Mole introduced into his supplication. Henrietta's eyes turned from La Mole, to whom she had listened till he ended, and rested on Coquenard to see if the expression of that gentleman's countenance harmonized with his friend's ardent address. It seemed that she was satisfied for blushing, breathless, conquered, she said to Coquenard with a smile which disclosed a double row of pearls enclosed in coral, "'Is this true?' "'By heaven!' exclaimed Coquenard, fascinated by her look. "'It is true indeed. Oh, yes, madame, it is true. True on your life, true on my death.' "'Come with me, then,' said Henrietta, extending to him her hand, while her eyes proclaimed the feelings of the heart. Coquenard flung his velvet cap into the air and with one stride was at the young woman's side, while La Mole recalled to Marguerite by a gesture, executed at the same time in amorous chasse with his friend. René appeared at the door in the background. "'Silence!' he exclaimed in a voice which at once damped all the ardor of the lovers. "'Silence!' And they heard in the solid wall the sound of a key in a lock and of a door grating on its hinges. "'But!' said marguerite haughtily i should think that no one has the right to enter whilst we are here not even the queen mother whispered rene in her ear marguerite instantly rushed out by the exterior staircase leading the mole after her henrietta and coquenard almost arm in arm followed them all four taking flight as fly at the first noise the birds seen engaged in loving parley on the boughs of a flowering shrub End of chapter 19. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.